Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V-Auto, and today I'm joined by Brian Finkelmeyer, Senior Director of New Car Solutions for V-Auto, to talk about new cars, look back at 2019 just a little, and then pitch ourselves forward into 2020 and look at some of the issues that we think, and Brian thinks, that dealers should be paying greater attention to as the year plays out. Brian, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lance. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Let's just go right to the chase here. 2019, 17 million cars sold in America, North America. What's your take on that number? Well, I think, Lance, obviously the headlines in USA Today and Automotive News oftentimes focus on that big number. And it was, I think, by many forecasts, sort of a surprise that the industry cracked 17 million again. But I think what's most important to our listeners, our car dealers that we work with every day, is not the total industry sales, but the pure retail, how much retail is flowing through our dealerships. And if you sort of peel the onion back, the retail story is not quite as rosy. Last year in 2019, our peer retail sales were off a few hundred thousand units. And we've seen sort of the last three, four years, just a slow drip of four to five percent reductions every year in that pure retail number. And what's a little bit concerning is our forecast from Cox Automotive for 2020 is that we're going to see another roughly 400,000 units of reduction in pure retail here in 2020, as I, I think there's concern that things are going to get a little tighter. Hmm. What's your take in terms of how that's going to affect dealers and how they regard their new car business? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Lance. I think we need to look closely at managing our inventory levels to sort of near where we think the realistic expectations are. And I I know that I saw in the industry just overall day supply has come down a few days from what it was a year ago. I think we went from the low 70s to the high 60s. But as we look closely at players like AutoNation, I thought it was interesting that in 2019, they actually reduced their overall inventory size by about 7,000 units across their network of dealerships, which resulted in them operating around a 53, 54-day supply. And I think that sort of speaks to dealers trying to find a way to do more with less and trying to maintain their sales volume with a little tighter day supply. And they're really doing that as a, as a way to mitigate their exposure to you know, the, the rising cost of floor plan that we've seen over the last few years. That seems a little almost contradictory in a way, though. If Here we are in January of 2020, and we're all excited about the 2020 models. And in my experience, I think dealers get as excited as consumers do, and they want to stock up. So What's your thought as far as balancing that desire to have the fresh stuff, but be mindful that too much might be too hurtful, you know, to your financial outcome in new cars? Yeah, you know, Lance, we've we've sort of you know, bucketed new vehicles into four real categories at V Auto, and we've sort of thought of it as, you know, there's cars that are high sales volume cars that turn quickly, which we would call kind of your moneymaker cars. Those would be many of your, you know, small crossover SUVs and, and many of the trucks, quite frankly, that are turning pretty quickly. 
and that dealers are selling a decent volume of. And then the second bucket we call the bread and butter cars, vehicles that are high sales volume but just don't turn quite as, as quickly. And and then lastly, we talk about the fourth of the buckets is what we call the factory favors, which are the, the vehicles that are low sales volume and turn slowly. And I think dealers really need to pay close attention to that bucket and understand on day one that I've taken in a particular model that is not in high demand in the marketplace and that we need to be proactive on that model on day one and understand, I think of it sometimes as Vegas, we're dealt cards and we have to make the best hand with the cards we're dealt. And it's certainly better to take a proactive stance on those types of vehicles relative to just waiting for day 300 until we take action. And I think the good news for dealers is the last bucket that we call is, is our gross unicorns, which would be vehicles that are not particularly high sales volume, but turn quickly. And I think we're going to see some of those coming out perhaps this year as, as the industry is launching 60 new products are going to be rolling off the production lines of all the different car manufacturers this year. And I think that is going to provide some gross opportunities for dealers across the country. Do you anticipate that with that robust lineup of new models that dealers will see more factory favor type vehicles coming their way then? Yeah, so I think that's going to be the challenge is being able to make sure that when your factory partner calls you or allocates out the new model that's coming, that oftentimes the dealer's mindset is, I just want to get as many of those as I can. I don't care what color, what equipment, whatever I can do to get my hand on that all new 2020 whatever the model is. And I think that's a dangerous game for dealers because, you know, every OEM that I've ever worked with or been around plays allocation game on a turn and earn basis. And if you're just taking as much as you can get and perhaps taking on that orange hero color that was in the commercial, that's not really a very popular color and there's not much demand, that behavior is actually going to hurt dealers' ability to earn more of the, the fast-turning hot combinations that, are, that they have a chance to make some money on. So I do think that 2020 is going to be really an interesting year because dealers are going to have to really play two games at the same time and that we're going to have some hot new products rolling out. But then there's also going to be our bread and butter cars that we have to pay close attention to and make sure that we're doing a good job of managing not just the volume of inventory that we're stocking, but paying, I think, much closer attention to the mix. Mm-hmm. Speaking of mix and, and just also the year we just finished, I was struck, Brian, during the holidays, you know, watching a little TV, I think it was a football game, where there might have been a dozen different car ads. And I want to say that more than half of those were about 2019 cars, not 2020 cars. And, and I guess I'm just curious, what's your sense of the holdover models and their prevalence on dealer inventories and what those mean, perhaps, in light of the 2020s? Yeah, so, you know, Lance, one thing that's just amazing is that the industry for 2019 finished at $4,600 a car as the average incentive, mm-hmm. which is just a remarkable number. And in fact, for a long, long time, they said in the auto industry that when incentives cross 10% of MSRP, that the auto industry is entering the danger zone. Well, 
right now we're at 11 percent and it doesn't seem like anybody's hurting car companies are still making a lot of money so i think part of what you saw there on television over the holiday season was that the best offers are clearly on the 19s where the bigger incentives and then obviously the car companies are trying to push out last year's model year to make way for the 2020s and so i think that does obviously pose opportunity for dealers that have the right mix of cars because you know, you don't want to get too far out ahead of where you've sold out of all your 19s too early and and you miss out on some of those incentives. So I think the smart dealers, certainly as you kind of come through the fourth quarter of any year, you want to make sure that you're not getting too far out ahead of the model year sell down because you don't want to miss out on those big rebates that tend to come around at the end of the year as the OEMs are clearing their shelves. That's an interesting point, Brian. You know, Throughout all of the industry press, we continue to see stories about affordability and how it's just getting harder and harder for consumers to afford the new car. And in fact, some folks are saying that this is a boon potentially for dealers in their near new used car business. But I'm kind of wondering, to your point about incentives, I think it's fair to say that traditionally dealers and you mentioned a minute ago that uh, we've got 60 new models coming out. So in my experience, when factories bring these new models to the market, it's rare that they will apply incentives to sell those, or at least aggressive incentives, in light of this affordability issue. Do you see any movement in that sort of rule of thumb that's guided OEMs in the past? Yeah, it's a great Great point, Lance, and I wonder if maybe part of that isn't why the industry is forecasting to have 400,000 lost sales in 2020, is that, to your point, this rising affordability issue. I think I read recently that the average monthly payment is now up around 570 bucks a month for customers, which sounds like a really high number for a lot of people. And then when we think about, you know, that was $570 a month with an incentive environment at $4,600 a vehicle. And as you say, we're pulling back, you know, there will be less incentives on these 2020s. So I think it's going to be a really interesting year to see how this all plays out. I mean, I want to go back to a point you made about the buckets, Brian, and, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. But as we look at those four buckets that you described, and I guess let's just maybe focus in on factory favors. But if you were a dealer and you're looking at your inventory in total, what might be a percentage of your inventory that you might say, you know, I got to play ball with the OEM, my partner, and I'm okay if 15% or 20% of my inventory is my factory favor bucket? I don't know what that number might be, but do you have a sense of where dealers might try to manage to in that regard? Yeah, so I think it does depend a little bit on a brand-by-brand basis. So if you took a brand like Subaru that's been on fire the last few years, there's probably not There a, is no factory yeah, there favor. Is, you know, yeah, <laughs> any car that the dealer gets, they're happy to have, right? While other brands mm-hmm. may have more model lines that are just become kind of long in the tooth and stale and not a lot of consumer demand for. So I think it does vary brand-by-brand. Brand. But I would say uh, safely you know, that smart dealers are managing to keep certainly less than 10% of their inventory in that factory favorite bucket. And I, and I would say that it's perhaps not as much of an issue of what percentage of my mix is the factory favorites. I, I would want to keep close eye on how I compare to the 
the brand average. But I think the point that I made earlier is the key one, which is to say, I want to understand on day one what I just took in the inventory. And I just don't think that most car dealers are sort of deploying that proactive management of their new cars, uh, much in the way that we've been talking to dealers about on the used car side of the business, this necessity to make hard decisions faster. And I think in some respects that plays true on the new car side of the fence as well. Yeah, there's a line I know from uh, our company founder, Dale Pollack, where he's been talking about the need for dealers to kind of make peace with the truth of a car on day one. And I think you're you're speaking to that. And that raises another question, Brian. I feel like over the last year, maybe two years, we've seen more OEMs kind of restrict the ways that dealers can price their cars. And so in light of the point we were just talking about where you got to make peace with the truth of a vehicle on day one, and historically, one of the levers you might have used to make peace and make it real is pricing. And perhaps in some cases, dealers don't have that lever anymore. What do you recommend for those dealers who are in that situation? Yeah, it's funny, Lance. It's You're touching on one of the great hypocrisies in the business right now in the industry, which is that we're all moving towards greater transparency, less friction for our customers, and making things very abundantly clear. Many OEMs have deployed guidelines that are requiring very tight outlining of descriptions of which incentives are being applied. But when it comes to pricing, it certainly seems to me that roughly 70% of the OEMs have enacted some form of a minimum pricing requirements. I believe they're doing this as an effort to, I guess in some respects, try to protect gross margin in their dealer network. So it sort of seems contradictory to me that on one side of the breath we're saying we want more transparency, but on the next side we're saying, well, we're not going to allow you to price vehicles to the market. And so what I would say is that you know one of the things that we've done this year with our Conquest product is provided dealers with the mechanism uh, to execute a two-tiered pricing strategy where dealers can price to their OEM guidelines online and make sure that they remain compliant. But what we've been really counseling dealers to use is the reveal price or get your e-price buttons on their website. And our software can help manage that for you so that you can essentially have your cake and eat it too and that you remain brand compliant, but then below in that reveal price, you can provide customers what they're most interested in, which is a transparent price of what you're willing to sell that car for. Customers always want the number. What are we seeing, Brian, in terms of OEMs and their take on this approach? Are they cool with it? Yeah, so you know, as long as the reveal price mechanism requires some personal information, typically, where the customer may have to mm-hmm. provide an email address, So as long as the customer has provided some degree of personal information, then the dealer, in most cases um, that I'm familiar with, are free to begin pricing vehicles more closely to the market. Are we at a point, Brian, where, and I know this is true in used cars, where for years, you know, dealers would look at pretty much any car and give it a shot. You know, put it out there, price it, put it out there, try to make their gross, and then maybe come back in 15, 30 days, whatever the interval was, and then reckon with it. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is 
giving every new car a shot isn't quite the way to go anymore. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think it really depends, you know, on a model-by-model basis, and you have to understand where you're at. And I think then within each of those model lines, where the devil's in the detail is understanding if your mix is out of whack. And oftentimes, you know, I say that dealers deploy one of two common strategies, the first of which is I just hope that some customer is going to come and resolve this issue for me. Or the second strategy is I hope that my OEM comes out with a better rebate to rectify this situation for me. And so I think what we've really been pushing on dealers about is to say that the right path to prosperity is to be using our data insights to help you understand earlier in the, you know, in the life cycle of that car where you're at and begin taking proactive action because I just don't think that a reactive approach to new car inventory management has been very successful for dealers. But those stores that are being proactive and managing things with a much tighter oversight are the ones that I think are still able to turn their inventory quickly as well as, you know, reduce that exposure to that floor plan cost. And I, I can't miss the fact that in 2019, the average car deal in America spent about $120,000, up to 10000 bucks a month on floor plan holding costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that number doesn't look like, well, the Fed doesn't sound like they're going to be raising interest rates anytime soon, but what's there sounds like it'll stay there for a while anyway, unless you deal with it. And one last arena here for the this episode, Brian. We've talked, to your point, of proactive kind of management. We've talked about pricing, you know, and how that can be a lever, but I want to just get your take as we look ahead at 2020 in terms of the marketing and merchandising that dealers might do as another way, you know, to get their cars in front of consumers. What are some of the big trends or things that dealers should be thinking about as they look for ways to make their cars be seen online and perhaps even differentiate themselves from their competitors? Yeah, so there's no doubt that, you know, the dealers that are spending more time on that merchandising side that you mentioned, you will get a much bigger return on your third-party listing site investment every month that you make with whether it's Auto Trader or Car Gurus or whoever it might be, that the dealers that are spending that extra time with real photos, real descriptions, and that can't be overstated, the importance of describing cars correctly, because often it's the case we see where we go out and begin looking at dealers' new car listings on these third-party sites, that the car actually has the tech package, but it's not been described with that. In fact, uh, a Toyota dealer we work closely with had an aged Prius, mm. And they went back and realized that the car actually had the tech package and they hadn't put that on their description. And they went and added, and next thing you know, this is a true story. They told me the car sold like five days later. So I think often as the case, we just assume that the back office is handling this and that there's just sort of this manufacturer mindset to this thing. But I think if we pay much closer attention and almost audit ourselves to make sure that our vehicle listings are standing tall online, I think that can go a long way towards helping your car shine relative mm-hmm. to the masses that by and large are not paying close enough attention to that piece of their business. Isn't it also true, Brian, that sites like Auto Trader, Cars, and Car Gurus, they're pulling the page from Google in a way of rewarding listings, vehicles that meet the relevancy test to a 
consumer's search query. Ergo, if you're missing the tech package, you're at the bottom of the heap. Yeah. You know, there's a situation here. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and there I'm not going to name the, the franchise, but there are two dealers that represent this brand in this market. And the one dealer is in the, I would say, the demographically better part of town and uh, with a huge population to luxury make, huge population of well-to-do customers. But this other store that's sort of on the north side of town does a significantly better job of the stuff that we're talking about. And when you look at the results on Auto Trader, yeah. both of those dealers send the same check to Auto Trader every month. One dealer gets 80% of the site traffic in this market, which is just a remarkable story. Both dealers pay the same amount, but one guy, because he's spending more time on the blocking and tackling of his new car merchandising, is getting eight out of every 10 shoppers is coming to his listing. So I saw that story. I was like, wow, that just really speaks to the power of maximizing uh, your opportunity, but it does take a little additional effort. Stewardship. you got to be on top of it. Absolutely. So, Brian, one last question. NADA is next month. What's your objective there at NADA going to be? Well, Lance, I'll tell you, it is the Super Bowl of the auto industry where, you know, thousands of vendors and dealers and thought leaders, and it's always, to me, I always find the most interesting and motivating thing to be is just to be able to connect with our customers and be able to talk firsthand about the things that we're thinking about and hearing firsthand about the challenges and the problems that the dealers are facing. And so all of you that are out there listening to this podcast would certainly welcome you to come and visit our booth and pop in and, and we'd love to talk with you more about your business and share some of the ideas that we have about how we can help you in 2020. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're interested in talking new cars and you're going to NADA, Brian's just offered himself up to provide some insight for you. Hey, Brian, thank you for taking time out for this episode of the podcast. I'm grateful for you being here. Lance, thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you at NADA as well. Likewise. Folks, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the V-Auto Podcast. Maybe we'll see you at NADA. We hope so. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.